Welcome. My name is Michael McDonnell. I am the, am, I am the cybersecurity librarian. Uh, and this is my co-host, Moro. How you doing, Moro? Wait. Hang on. There we go. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, Michael. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good, and I'm really bad at running this studio. So. Oh, that's okay. You know, uh, I, I think, uh, every, you know, honestly, dude, uh, you, you look re-energized after, you know, our uh, little break there. So, uh Hopefully uh, everyone recognizes that, and uh, we'll just keep on uh, keep on doing this uh, for for a bit more. Hey Jason, rock and roll. <laughs> hey Jason, hey Derek. Derek's back. This is awesome. Uh, thank you everyone for uh, joining us after our hiatus. Um, it was great taking a little break. Uh, we spent a lot of time trying to prepare for the rest of the summer worth worth of live streams. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about that. Um, so this week, cybersecurity certifications going to be completely uh, uh, boring, controversial, active. It's a source of anxiety for many. This is going to be a really uh, great live stream. Next week, very special live stream that we hope to turn into sort of a spinoff about students and young professionals. The idea next week is to have a couple student leaders in cybersecurity interview professionals. We haven't picked the professionals yet, so if you want to be interviewed, <laughs> let us know. Uh, then we've got, uh, I'm not sure about the order, but we got one on futurism, we future do, we technology. Do. Uh, we do. We I think we also have a topic on rejection and how to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we have a few things uh, kind of in the uh, in the hopper, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll certainly... Um, <laughs> we'll, we certainly got lots on the, uh, on the agenda, so. Uh, oh yeah, one on negotiation. Uh, I think, yes, or is that, is that the same one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Moro has literally made a spreadsheet that's got topics <laughs> to pretty much the end of the year. And we just have to find guests and topics and arrange it, but uh, we're full steam ahead. We also, uh, um, uh, we're, we're super fancy here now because <laughs> like there's a website. Look at that. There's, there's, there's an actual website um, because I need a place to blog. Um, there's so much more that, everyone in our community has to say afterwards, where's the URL for this thing? Oh, uh, you, I thought you can, you can see it. It says uh, cyberlibrarian.ca. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, cyberlibrarian.ca and all of our past episodes are up on there. Um, embedded little YouTube plus the articles. Some of you may not know, but for some of our earlier shows, there were LinkedIn articles that went along with resources and uh, learning and uh, extra advice. And I'd like to continue with that. Um, so check out the website. Um, part of that website is a number of people asked for these episodes to be released as podcasts. Some people are like, you know, uh, live interaction is great, 
but they'd like to listen to the more they're driving or exercising or walking their dog. Um, you know what? That wasn't as much effort as I thought. And so now we are on iTunes and Spotify and we'll be on Google podcasts as soon as they get their act together and approve <laughs> the podcast. I don't know what's taking them so long. If you have a podcast platform that we're not on and you want us to be on it, you just let me know and I'll make sure that we're there. And so what the, what'll happen is uh, 24 hours after these air on YouTube, they will be put out on the podcast platform. So, you know, uh, please do not hang up now. Keep watching. We want your interaction. But, you know, um, if you happen to miss this and you're watching this on YouTube next week and you're like, oh, my God, I just want to listen to this. We don't need to see these guys. Um, you could switch over to iTunes and see it that way. Um, um, oh, yeah. So there's also been some changes to the Discord channel. Um, so quite a few of our topics have generated interest both before the live stream and then after the live stream. If you've got more commentary, if you want to continue this discussion, you can go over to the Discord. The link is on the screen uh, and there's a channel. During the live stream, we will not be monitoring that. We are not that good <laughs> at paying attention. We will only be watching the YouTube chat. So uh, YouTube chat, good. Um, uh, Discord before and after. So if you, once we, you know, we, we're starting to publish all of our upcoming topics. Feel free to go in Discord and start talking about them ahead of time. It's good for us to feed into our agenda. Or if afterwards, like tonight, I am sure you will have more questions, especially if you're a young professional, after the live stream than you did before. Go over to Discord. We're, we're happy to continue the conversation. Absolutely. Um, and plus, all, all of our friends that uh, typically join us on our regular uh, live stream here, they're usually hanging out in there so that you know yep. you can get their perspectives as well. So very, very great. Hey, first time watcher. Hi, Andre. Thank you for tuning in. Um, that's great. Um, okay. With that, uh, our topic tonight is cybersecurity certifications. Um, it is a bigger topic than we can cover in one hour. But we have invited a guest on who, uh, when we were floating this around, uh, multiple people said, you got to talk to Mark. He's got opinions. Um, and so we've invited um, Mark on here to help us talk about cybersecurity certifications. So we're, gonna, we're going to um, talk about the vast variety of them, the role they play, um, and the controversies in the industry around cybersecurity certifications. And I would be willing to bet that some of you have felt anxiety um, related to these certifications where you're like, um, oh my God, do I, have, do I have to have one? Will I get a job if I don't have one? Are these required for, uh, or do I have enough of them? We did a little poll um, uh, and let me, let me pull this up. Just give me one second here. Um, no worries. So while while uh, Michael's pulling that up, I'm I'm going to make some comments on certifications. Yeah. Not not just security uh, certification, but IT certifications in general. Uh, so I would say, um, really looking at it, I think you know cybersecurity uh, is almost like its its own sphere inside of uh, certifications. So even in you know general, there's you know there's a vast array of different certifications whether you're a programmer, a sysadmin, 
you know, in cybersecurity or, you know, if you're looking for management certifications. So there's such a wide range. And I remember when I first started my career, uh, there was really no cybersecurity certification at that time. So really looking at it and the landscape of how that's transformed, cybersecurity certifications are relatively new compared to some of the system admin and developer certifications that have been out there for probably the better half of 25 years now. So uh, I will say this much uh, in my perspective, from my own personal perspective, when I was first starting off in uh, IT, uh, not necessarily as a cybersecurity analyst or anything of that nature, but as a system administrator, I actually, uh, I actually went and uh, found courses at my local college to uh, basically get my uh, Microsoft certification at that time. And it was really brand new at the time, uh, not, not the MCSE NT4, but the MCSE 2000. Granted, uh, it's going to date me, but um, <laughs> at the time it was revolutionary, right? Because uh, Microsoft had switched, you know, domain models from their old NT4, you know, resource style domains to, you know, Active Directory. So it was, it was something that was new. Not everyone had it. So I went after it at that point and it certainly helped me get my foot in the door. So I, th that's one of my opinions about, you know, the value of IT certification. So, and I know Michael, you'll, you'll probably point out, you know, more, more of the benefits, uh, as we go through this live stream. So I'm actually going to save, I have so many opinions on this, <laughs> but what I'm going to do is let our guests talk about them and then re react to that. And maybe I'm going to agree with them and if it's going to be really boring, or maybe I'm going to disagree and we're going to get in a good fight. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so here's the poll and we had, this is, I've done a few polls. 34 respondents, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not a lot, but for us, that's a huge number of respondents. And so I was asking people how many certifications they had. Um, do you got none, just one? Uh, and this is cybersecurity. I, I asked people to say, you know what, don't count a degree unless it's related and don't count your expired certifications. And I was shocked by the number of people that have five or more. Um, myself, I have four that are active. I have a lot that are expired. And if I count IT, it, the number goes very high, um, <laughs> that are expired. But, um, you know, myself, I've always felt a lot of pressure to do I need more when I was looking for work recently, I literally went and got my certified threat intelligence analyst because for all the wrong reasons, just out of anxiety thinking, Oh my God, I just got to add one or I'll never work again. Um, in any case, I think this poll is really, really interesting. Um, the number of people with just one is the lowest. The people with none or a lot is, uh, the highest. Um, so that said, I want to do one thing before we bring on our guest. I want to show this resource. And let me bring it up on the screen. Is it there? No, it's not there. It's not there. I've lost track of it. There it is. Um, so this is something new to me. This has actually existed for a few years. Um, this is a map of 324 cybersecurity related certifications. And if you go to that website that's on the screen, uh, this is interactive. You know, in, in uh, last year's version, um, I could have quibbled about some of the ways it was organized. 
but I think it's actually fairly accurate. I think it's fairly complete. Um, and it's got sort of two dimensions. Um, going left to right are knowledge domains and work domains. So are you in penetration testing, offensive security? Are you in architecture? Are you an analyst? Are you a technology implementer? And then from top to bottom is, is this an entry-level certification versus a very advanced recognized certification? And if you hover over them, they give you some more um, depth. So uh, what does it cost to take that certification? Are there multiple costs? So for instance, a CCIE practical, you've got two grand for the exam, but you've got travel costs because you have to fly to where it's written. Um, and you'll find that um, they're fairly open because they, they do include vendor-based certifications as well as professional societies and training institutes. So it's, it's, I, I tried really hard to think of some certifications like stuff from ISA and no, it's there. Um, and there's certain things that are industry specific and they're like not cybersecurity industry, but specific industries. Um, and they're, they're there. So if you're trying to understand how big certification is in cybersecurity and try to navigate it, this is a great tool. And if you're trying to figure out where you fit and where to begin and go, this is an interesting guide as well. Um, that said, I'm not going to um, dissect it. I think we'd all rather talk to our guest and start discussing um, many of the issues. So with that, I am going to take this off the screen, bring in Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike Gamoral. Appreciate it. Um, so uh, Mark, why don't you start by introducing yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, so I am a currently a, a senior security architect. Um, I just actually started a new role at a financial uh, or fintech company. So we provide banking services for uh, a number of credit unions across Western Canada. Um, my role is the only architect in the role. We have a large number of analysts and uh, kind of going back to that inside employee role. I'm having consulted quite a bit in my career as well as being an employee. So kind of back and forth. And anybody who knows me um, knows I've had a lot of different jobs over the years, um, different companies. Uh, as you mentioned, I have opinions. Um, as, as Morrow said, yeah, I started my career back when there were no cybersecurity certs. So I have, I have my MCSC 4.0 if anybody needs any help with that. Um, that's that's available and plus a, a very useful Solaris certification too so make sure I always put those down but um, yeah it's been an interesting kind of career as far as certifications go right starting out with those kind of vendor specific when there weren't there wasn't a lot of certs out there you know Microsoft was kind of the core key one and that was the one everybody wanted thought they should go get because I think that was one of the first ones from a big vendor that was put out there and then as I moved on a career, I, I got into a large audit firm and they basically told me I should go get my CISSP. Um, I hadn't even looked at it. I wasn't that aware of what it was. Uh, looking back on it now, I know it's kind of for their purposes to say, hey, look at these great 
you know, resources we're billing out at a large rate to you, they're certified, right? They must know what they're doing. So um, that's kind of the first one I kind of tackled from a, a major cybersecurity standpoint. So what's the oldest certification you have? Like, is there one that you've you've maintained through the whole um, career? That would be my CISSP from a cybersecurity standpoint. So I got that back in 2005, uh, which is quite a while ago. Um, and we were talking earlier before the show started. Back then it was six hours of time, 300 multiple choice questions on a bubble sheet in a, in a cold room with your pencil and eraser and nothing else. Um, <laughs> I always, I always go back to that because it's kind of interesting. I, I kind of went, okay, I went through my 300 questions. I, I tagged the ones I wasn't sure about. I went back over them the second time, um, corrected a few or, or changed a few, whether they were right or wrong. And I think I was still out of their like two hour, 45 minute mark or maybe three hour. And there was people who spent this whole six hours and I thought, wow, I mean, at, at that point, I think you're just guessing because if you're going over 300 questions, through a six hour period over and over and over, you probably might as well just pick one. Um, I think now it's my understanding. So I, I actually participate in workshops with ISC squared for the CISSP exam, as well as I've recently got my uh, CCSP exam. So the cloud certification, and I've got invited to a few workshops to go and help write exam questions. So my understanding, I haven't written exam lately. And if somebody in the, in the, who's listening knows can can kind of qualify that my understanding has become an, an adaptive exam so you're kind of writing they're giving you more challenging questions as you do well and um i think i think it'll kind of score you on the fly versus kind of wait till the end and complete all the questions but fortunately i don't have to go back and find out myself so i think that um derek will be able to um fill us in on that because derek just uh, wrote CISP a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've already said this, but Derek, welcome to the profession. That's awesome. Uh, but we also, while, while we wait for Derek to uh, type something in to say how the exam works, uh, we, we've got our first, uh, our first controversial uh, question. So Kyle, uh, welcome back, Kyle. Uh, is the CISP even a valid cert these days or it, is there uh, something more to acquire? Um, uh, does it have the same big pull? Hey, Kyle, good to see you on. Kyle and I know each other. So, um, yeah, every, every single person knows Kyle. I, I was going to say the same thing. Who doesn't know Kyle? Kyle? Um, I, I think it is. I mean, I, I'll kind of go through why I, I think there, cause there's a lot of, like you said earlier, there's a lot of controversy around certificates. Um, if you spend any time in, Twitter or any kind of social media around cybersecurity people. Um, some people are for them. Some people absolutely despise them. They despise the companies that put them out. They think they're worthless. They they seem to like enjoy telling everybody how they're letting their certificates expire and burning them in the fire pit. And, um, you know, that's just the nature of, I think, the cybersecurity crowd. We're all typically fairly opinionated, um, a lot of strong personalities. I guess the key reasons why I think there's value to it is a couple, uh, personally. So obviously I can't speak for everybody. One, uh, the reality is it's still a screening tool. Um, a CISSP I think is still considered kind of the industry standard for that broad depth of knowledge and security. So it's not specialized. It's not like a SANS course where you have a, a specific technical area you're studying. 
Um, it gives you a, a kind of a broad understanding of security. It's not going to give you a product sp specific knowledge, but it does, I think, demonstrate to some extent that you understand, uh, you know, as they would say, a number of different domains of cybersecurity. One thing I do like from a personal level, other than it gets you in the door, because let's face it, there is got to be a screening method for a pile of resumes of which one do we put on the follow up on and which one do we not. And unfortunately, you know, certifications are one of those metrics that they start with. Um, but for me personally, I do like it in that there's a requirement to have some actual experience in the field. So it's not that anybody can go write the test, pass the test and put CISSP behind their name. There's a three to five year, you know, requirement of experience. You're getting certified by another CISSP and hopefully they're upholding the ethics of the certification and making sure that they're not signing off on people that they don't think legitimately have at least that base experience and, and base hands-on, I guess I would say. Um, the other thing for me that I enjoy, it's not like I'm going to go, I find it funny how that um, survey you had, there's there's basically kind of none or a lot. There, there very few have people had one. So I, I kind of always think back to somebody who told me about tattoos. You can't just get one tattoo. If you get a tattoo, you get another one. Um, I use them kind of as a benchmark to my, you know, not only for my career, because I think it is part of career advancement and, and, and the career part, but it's a challenge to me, right? Once I'm kind of in an area and I think I have done well and I'm kind of like, I think I know this stuff pretty well and I want to prove to myself that I know it. Um, I kind of use those certifications as an example of, do I know it? So I guess an example of that is, like I said, I, I did my CCSP from ISC squared. So that's a, a general cloud certification, right? It's not product specific. It's not AWS. It's not Azure. It's not Google. It's what are concepts around cloud security that are important across the cloud vendors, no matter who you're using. So again, more of a general um, high level, more of an architectural type of knowledge. Mm -hmm. But after I did that, I thought to myself, you know what? I don't, I, I think I kind of know some of the cloud vendors, but it's still relatively new in, you know, in the IT space. I want to see if I do know something. So, you know, I went out and thought, oh, there's an AWS, you know, foundations certification. Why don't I study up on that? Why don't I read the stuff I'm supposed to read, learn it, and I'm going to challenge the exam, right, and see if I can pass it or not. It's not overly expensive. Um, let's see if I can actually learn something about that particular vendor. So in that case, it wasn't because I need it for my job or, um, you know, that I'm, that I'm doing it for a specific reason at the point I took it. It was more of a challenge to myself to say, so do I actually know what I think I know about AWS? Am I... Am I at least qualified enough to speak to the base foundations of, of their cloud service? So I guess that's a, lo a long roundabout uh, answer to Kyle that is it still relevant? I think it is. I think it's still it's still a, you know, fortunate or not fortunate, it's a screening tool. I think it still, to me, tells me, um, and, and it's not a BL end all. Yes, yes, it's P, you're not a, you're not a guru. You don't necessarily work good with people. You're not necessarily a good team player. You're not necessarily good at um, your job even. But what it does tell me is you've at least put in the time and effort to learn the foundational principles of cybersecurity. You've taken the time to study for the exam and you've got some base experience based on the requirement of that particular certification in the relevant field or area of security. So, you know, it, it's... 
it's not something where I go, well, you must know everything. You're a CISSP. Just like, um, you know, there, my wife's a nurse. There's, there, you know, there's a lot of doctors I've met. There's good doctors and there's bad doctors. They all have their MD. Um, that doesn't mean they have good bedside manners. That doesn't mean I like the way they decide they've picked a diagnosis and, and they're sticking with it and they, they don't have an open mind. Um, but it does tell me they at least have the base core understanding of medicine. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure for sure so mark uh with, with that i'm just kind of curious uh now uh, this is going to go down in, a, in as a part of some of our uh pre-written questions but for you uh i guess if you could name like maybe even like three certifications that you feel like you know have relevance i guess or are you know maybe of value uh what would those be and i'm assuming the cissp probably falls into one of those three but yeah, I thought I mean, I'd, I'd, anyway. I'd say from yeah, general cybersecurity. I think the CISSP, um, from my opinion, and and from talking with peers, it's kind of still that benchmark standard security certification, in my opinion. Um, and again, these are technical certs because I've yeah. you know, yeah. like Michael, like yourself, I've taken vendor technical certifications as well, and those are very specific. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a number of individuals who've taken SANS courses. They speak very highly of them. The contents of, you know, quite good quality from the feedback. I've had a chance to speak to people from SANS. Um, I, I, I think there's a good respect for the content and the quality of the course. Myself, I haven't had an opportunity to acquire that. And that's mainly due to cost. It's it's a very expensive certification, whether um, mm -hmm. either you're paying out of your own pocket or you're trying to convince your employee or sorry, employer to, to foot the bill for that. Um, if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that, or if you decide that that's where you decide you want to spend your money, I think those are worthwhile for sure. Um, ISAC, I think, you know, I have, I, again, I'm somewhat from personal experience. I have my CISA because I happened to work for an audit firm and was doing audit work. Um, not so relevant for me now, but great experience when I have to do PCI or I have to do, um, even when we're doing, you know, NIST or ISO or, uh, any kind of those frameworks, that audit background, um, I don't know if the certification necessarily is useful to a lot of people, but the knowledge of how an audit process works, I think is useful. Um, I guess the other ones, CCSP, I'm, I'm, I was kind of, that was one of my goals of myself again, because um, like I mentioned, I may have started pretty much prior to PCs being in the computer industry. That's <laughs> very much dating myself. Um, but I want to stay current, right? And I, I see the CCSP as a way of staying current. Uh, in my, That's a big thing for me is also just trying to keep up with the industry, right? So cloud is obviously not going away. Um, automation, um, orchestrations around a lot of integration components, DevOps. So Part of it again is myself going and saying, what's relevant and what keeps me relevant in the workforce? And what do I feel like challenging myself with to make sure that I am comfortable, that I think I can speak to that. And I guess the certification is kind of my piece of paper to show somebody else, hey, I, I'm at least somewhat qualified to talk on that topic, right? It, it's something that I have some basis and background in that I, I can speak to intelligently to some level, I, I don't, I never proclaim to be a guru in anything. Um, I, I think, and this is where my opinion comes out, anybody who 
you know, says they're a security cybersecurity expert, I go in what area? Um, I'm not a forensics guy. Um, I'm not an incident response handler. Um, I have my certain skills in certain areas that I feel I'm stronger in, but there's so many areas just in cybersecurity, let alone IT, that anybody who tries to kind of say I'm I'm a cybersecurity expert, well, you know, <laughs> I don't. I, I have an instant opinion of those people. Oh uh, yeah, they're blow, they're blowing something, right? They're blowing something yeah. up somewhere. <laughs> you know, no, there's nobody out there who certifies people as cybersecurity librarians. So I get to be the only one. See, there you, you go. Start there your you own. Go. Uh, you start your own certification process. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess that's my take on it. I don't know what if you guys have thoughts around that. I mean, like I said, it's it's. I always think it's um it's always controversial, right? Should you get them, not get them? So um, Ryan echoed some of the same uh, comments you just spoke to about, mm -hmm. you know. So CISSP is generally considered the gold standard, mm -hmm. but. Um, and I think this is, uh, for me, um, a really interesting uh, comparison. So ISC squared and ISACA almost seem to be in a competing space. Though if you talk to ISACA people, they'll go, no, 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 the CISSP is technical. And I have many technical certs and I don't think the CISSP is, is that technical. But for someone who's like an auditor, or risk manager, a C-risk, or a CGEIT, an IT governance specialist, well, yeah, CISP seems like a much more technical thing. The, uh, I want to bring something up, though. Let me go back to that map, which I keep losing track of. There we go. Um, okay, tell me if you think this sounds fair. So in my mind, I divide up the world of certifications into three categories. Um, there are professional certifications, there are technical certifications, and there are vendor certifications. Vendor certifications generally being technical, but... Um, specific. Specific, uh, okay, if I want to, okay, if I want to be controversial, I'd say tainted, but... <laughs> Uh, they, 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 they come from a perspective from the manufacturer, yeah. whether they're good or bad. And I've taken a, a whole bunch. You and I were talking before the show. You've t we've both taken a lot of vendor training. Um, uh, so first of all, do you think that are those three categories like sufficient to sort of group them? I know we could break them down like um, yeah. uh, this guy did into sort of the job role. But what I'm trying to do is is say, mm -hmm. depending on the, the the type of certification, it says uh, it says something. And I think the professional certifications are those ones that come with an experience requirement and an ethics requirement and a continuing education requirement where there's an auditability. And if you have that certification, it's saying, look, you're not just certified to have passed an exam and have some knowledge. You have a broad knowledge in whatever domains the certification's in, but you've got a minimum amount of experience demonstrated so that you could say, yes, I'm part of this profession. And you speak to the knowledge domain so that you can say, you know what? There's a difference between my professional opinion and my personal opinion. My professional opinion, even if you and I disagree, 
has been framed within that body of knowledge and the experience requirement. Um, and unlike technical certifications, uh, because of an ethics and continuing education requirement, it's like, yeah, this can be taken away. Um, it, it, yeah. yeah, and I, I think you make a couple of good points. And um, again, just to, you know, obviously this is all based on our experiences and, and what we've gone through and our and peers, obviously, and, and talking with people. Um, I think it's a good point that th those qualifications, there's twofold to, to the, they have the continuing CPE credits. So yes, you have the base experience, you write the exam, you show you have some understanding of the core concepts. And then as you go forward, the requirement is you must maintain an education. Now it doesn't have to be in that particular vendor space like ISC squared or ISACA doesn't mandate you take their courses but you need to take something that's relevant to the certification they provided you. And I think that's a great um, onus on them to say, you've got to continuously learn. You can't just write this five years ago or 10. It's like my Solaris 8 certification. Yeah, I wrote it, I passed it. Um, if you got a Solaris 8 server that needs some admin work, I probably still couldn't do it because it was you know, probably over 10, 15 years ago. But the fact is that one should date out because it's not relevant anymore. The, the, IS, the CISSP, the domains don't suddenly change overnight um, as long as you stay and keep up to date. And they do adapt it, right? It's, I mean, I guess the one of the things I want to bring up is I've gone and, and I can't disclose details of the, the exam workshops, but um, because of the ethics. But what I did like about going on those workshops is they brought in people from around the world and so it wasn't just you know myself and a couple of canadians and some americans there was people from europe there was people from asia who would come on these workshops and we would meet and we would sit down and and the process was essentially you know we have some questions that people have written prior you're going to peer review them you're going to clean them up um they had pearson who basically provides this is the way the question should read these are words you can't use in the question this is how you make it a non-confusing question. This is how you uh, provide three or four other answers that are similar to the actual right answer um, in, in a grammatical and format piece. So there was the whole, how do you write a good exam question irrelevant of what the exam was about? Um, and that was their job. And then there was, okay, let's go through existing questions, but then, you know, here's a domain come up with, 20, 25 new questions. And so you would do that and then you would go through and you'd have a peer review those and they would go through and do, you know, is it even makes sense? What was the source you derived that question from? Let me go source check that and make sure that it's a noted publication that's relevant, that supports that answer. So it's taking real world, well, I guess a publication, but it's taking resources that people use every day in our field and saying, is this supported? within common um, documentation and textbooks and, and reading material that the industry recognizes as legitimate, well-written you know, books and, and source material. And then as a group, you go through the question and, and there's things like, does this make sense? Um, for the knowledge and the experience the person's supposed to have, would that be something somebody with five years experience would know? Is it too hard? Is it too easy? Is it accurate? And you have people from around the world. So we would have things like somebody might bring up an acronym and I'd say, I'm not familiar. I have no idea what that means. 
and they'd say, oh, well, in the U.S. Department of Defense, we use this acronym to mean X. And so the rest of us from around the world would remind the Americans that they, although, you know, although they like to think they are, they're not the only entity in the world. And it has to be a relevant exam for everyone else as well. But that played both ways because they may have a term that both the Europeans and Canadians and whoever else is in the room says, you know what, even though that's an American term, you know, something like NIST, we're all familiar with NIST. We all use NIST. We're all we're all knowledgeable of NIST. So that's a rel that's a reasonable um, item to have within that question. Um, so what kind of was nice for me to see going to those workshops is that the amount of work and effort that they're putting in to take people with, you know, 20, 30, you know, a lot of experience in the industry who've been around the block, who come from a variety of different job roles in cybersecurity and different places in the world to sit down and go, let's make this exam a good exam to test the knowledge of stuff that you think people should know in that field. So it's not just somebody in a room writing random questions that aren't relevant. So I, I, I think my point is I always, I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of effort they put into that. Uh, interesting story. Um, so my first certification was a SANS cert, uh, 20, 20 years ago. Um, and one of the things you had to do to write the cert, so you had to write a paper and do two practical tests and a written test. And one of the parts of your practical was to write five questions for the next exam. <laughs> that's actually kind of smart though really when you think about it what a great what a great way to like you know be lazy and you know dump the responsibility on, on the exam taker <laughs> that, that was that was early days so kyle asks um uh how do you rate experience versus certification and he gives a classic exam example of okay you got somebody with five years experience and a lot of certs versus someone with a ton of experience and one or no certs and i think this is great because this is a this question summarizes the anxiety that a lot of people have for sure whether they're established in our profession or whether they're not um, uh, you want to dive in and sure I'll give I'll get again I'll give you my thoughts on it because I love giving people my thoughts my my wife says you argue too much with people and I go no we're just I'm just expressing my opinion um, <laughs> I, th I think it's more complicated than just, you know, one or the other, because I would look at it, well, what is the role? What are, what is the hiring for? What are those 12 years experience in what area and what did they do? And does it match up with what we're looking for? Um, as opposed to the person with a whole pile of certifications and less experience, because there, there's that part of it. So I wouldn't interest instantly say I'm picking this one over that one. We talked about off camera, I mean, when, when we, or I had the opportunity to interview people into roles that were going to be peers of mine or even employees, um, aptitude to learn, I think is critical. Uh, somebody who comes in and says, you know, I may not know this, but I can use my experience and I'll learn it, right? I, I, I can pick this stuff up quickly. I am keen on it. It's an interest of mine. I love IT. I love cybersecurity. I, you know, I want to learn all the time because... Um, as I mentioned, I, I don't I don't think you can survive in IT, let alone cybersecurity, without a genuine interest in the field. It changes so fast and so rapidly, 
and technology and the way things are being done that you know if if somebody says hey have you heard about kubernetes or docker or anything and you go well, i don't care it's not my field um i work in the data center i rack servers for a living i run windows right and that's all i need to know and i've met those people right and and I've met people who like, I know tandem. I worked on tandem on Navy ships. That's my forte. And I'm like, cool. I don't know tandem. I don't know COBOL either, but I do know there's not a lot of demand out there. <laughs> and although you may find the one niche job in the country somewhere that'll pay you pretty well, it's not a sustainable, you know, experience level. So I guess to Kyle's point, um, I'd want to, I'd want to assess it beyond that. Right. Like, and, and, I think it's legitimate to say, well, I don't know if I'd say, but I, I guess the question is, you know, maybe the person just hasn't had an interest to acquire a certificate, hasn't had an opportunity to. Um, if you're an employee and you've been working in a company for five or 10 years, and then you went to another company for five or 10 years, a lot of times you don't need a certification to be there, right? A lot of times the certifications, like I mentioned, came out of a consulting firm saying, hey, for us to go to this customer, and tell them you're an expert in X and that you're really knowledgeable, it's really great to have those letters behind your name for us and for you, right? So, yeah. And so I, I just want to kind of, uh, I guess, add on to what you're saying, Mark. Uh, I think from my perspective, I see it as a way of, you know, especially if you're job hunting, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a way to, you know, because not everyone's going to know, right? They're going to read your experience, but what does that mean? Whereas if you have a valid cert that hasn't expired, you know, within, you know, two years, you know that this person has, you know, at least looked at that knowledge or understands that topic within that two-year frame versus someone that, you know, has, you know, some level of practical experience, but you don't know if they've actually kept up with technology, like you said, right? Yeah. I mean, especially in cybersecurity, what was, you know, hot yesterday is not necessarily what's hot today or tomorrow. Uh, again, you know, five years ago, no, virtually no one would know about Kubernetes. Today, it's probably one of the biggest topics. And yeah, having like a AWS cert would certainly, you know, help you kind of, you know, lead into that conversation as well. So, right? Yeah. One of the questions we have to um, ask is, so what's the role of training and certification in our various job roles uh, or the various functions that your company or business unit has? So, uh, uh, I think in Kyle's uh, questions and comments is related to hiring and rank within a department. And when you're, you know, uh, having been a hiring manager, you, you wrestle with this question. So what do I establish for hiring requirements? What's going to help me find the right person that's going to fill this role in my group? Is certification a thing I should be looking for? Uh, if I look for experience, what am I looking for? Do, do they need to have uh, the specific technical skills? And as you emphasized, someone's both desire and demonstration of their learning ability is huge. I think one of the challenges we have in cybersecurity right now is a lot of the people that are the hiring managers, they may not necessarily come from cybersecurity or like us. Yeah, yeah, they, right. they, they might be struggling to keep up just like we are. So you know what? The fallback position is, so imagine this, you're a great IT person, you get promoted, you've really succeeded as a manager in infrastructure applications. And then one day the CIO comes to you and says, I'm tapping you on the shoulder because we need uh, a new security manager 
we're not doing well. You've been a great manager. Take over that role. We know you can manage the program, but you don't know cybersecurity. So what's the first thing you're going to do is you're going to dive in. You're going to do your best job. You're going to try to understand the domain. You're going to discover these certifications. You're going to learn the lingo. You're going to talk the NIST cybersecurity framework, and then you're going to go to hire somebody and you're going to go, well, I'm never going to be in a position to judge this guy I hire. So you know what? Here's the qualifications. You better have a CISSP and a GIAC and a PMP and a whole bunch of experience. And then we get these crazy requirements. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me flip this on its head. And I'm going to be really bold here. This is how we should hire in cybersecurity. The job ads should not state any hard requirements not for degrees, not for certifications. They should describe what your job function is, what you're accountable for, and what you're expected to do. And then when you apply, you should try to explain why all of your qualifications are going to make you capable of doing that job. How will you assure the employer? And you know what? It could be that you've got a degree. It could be that you've got experience. It could be that you've got certifications. Um, that would make more sense in this diverse, crazy cybersecurity uh, world we have right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I mean, I wish I wish they would be more realistic about they're trying to hire somebody. You know, what is the job role? What are you required to do? Um, I guess I sit on the fence whether or not you could say, hey, nice to haves would be these certifications, or maybe you don't put them on there and leave it to the to the candidate to demonstrate that. I think one example that I don't have, and um, I worked with a individual that did his OSCP and um, he went and wrote that, you know, because he's very keen on pen testing and uh, did it on his first try, got over hundred percent because he did all the bonus work on it too. And he's like, why don't you try that? And I'm like, well, one, that's a lot of a lot of work to prep for that certification. Like that takes a lot of dedication, a lot of specific knowledge. And I've I've done some pen testing once in a while, but I, I nowhere to the depth, you know, that he could do, you know, of of decompiling malware or writing his own exploits, things like that. I mean, just really, and again, kind of speaks to nobody knows everything. Um, so, and then he went on to do his what is it, the OSCE, so the, the next one up from there. So not that that tells you he's better than someone else, but it certainly, to in that particular case, and I know him personally, but it certainly demonstrates to me anybody who can do both of those, they've got to be pretty adept from what I've, as I went and looked at the certification, I looked at the requirements, you know, it's pretty current, you actually got a hands-on hack into boxes. Um, this isn't isn't read a book and regurgitate answers. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is in that particular case for that certification, for me personally, I'm pretty impressed when people can get through those. I think that really demonstrates some skill and some dedication to their craft if that's the field they're in in cybersecurity. That's not saying people who don't have them don't have the same skills or can't do the same thing. Um, I think it just gets back to the point of whether he, and he didn't require it for his job. It was just, I'm going to go do this to show everybody that I can do this, right? And to show myself I can do this. And I think it was a personal accomplishment more than anything. 
but having that and show and and having that certification to me just says oh dude i don't want you anywhere near my bank system or my phone <laughs> i i i i so want to be the contrarian about the ocsp but uh, i'm going to leave that a little bit um i i, I took the oscp and i i thought it was super fun i think it's a terrible course it's horrible. It has no training. Course, but... It has no training value whatsoever. But it is the f it is a super fun lab. Um, I didn't bother to write the exam. Uh, I want to I want to back up and bridge to another topic. Um, so uh, these certifications all play a role. And, and uh, one of Kyle's questions was like experience versus certification. One of the roles that certifications play, and not really so much in North America. And uh, most of us here are Calgarians or Western Canadians, not, not everyone watching is, but most. Um, so energy sector also, uh, certification doesn't really play this huge role. But right. if you take a look at um, Europe or certain industries, um, certification plays almost like a licensing role that you don't get to do the job unless you have certified. And I think North America, like the one role I can think of is being a QSA. Um, but, um, you know, Mark, bef before the show, you had brought up a, a great issue that's, I think, uh, a real button presser for some people. I'm going to bring it up on the screen here. Oh, yeah. It, it lit up LinkedIn like crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I, I think it pushes people's buttons Mm -hmm. But if you understand the context, it's actually a little dull. Uh, but I'll let you brought it up. I'll let you speak to it. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I kind of teased people this week on LinkedIn with this uh, about this issue. It's like, is your CISSP yeah. equivalent to a master's degree? Um, the people with master's degrees are like, no no way, man. <laughs> CISP is not. <laughs> I tortured myself writing my thesis. And then, you know, I think if you got a CISP, you're like, woohoo. Um, Mark, what do you think this means? What's yeah, your perspective? I had, I had, a, I had a secret woohoo. Um, I didn't jump into the fray uh, on LinkedIn, but I certainly enjoyed reading the comments. I get where, I, and I totally get where people are like, that's, that's BS, right? That's not a master's degree. I, the funny part was, is some, some of my, you know, some people I know challenged some of them and said, Oh, do you have your master's degree? And they're like, well, no, but I know it's not the same. And I'm like, okay, cool. You're, you know, here we are back in our, our cybersecurity world. Um, I, I kind of looked at it and I thought about it and I thought, is it, is it though? Right? Like, so what's a master's degree? So typically two years, right? Maybe sometimes a little less. Um, like you said, some of them require a thesis. Some of them are practicums, right? You're, you're doing research. You don't have to write necessarily a thesis at the end. As far as uh, some people I know who've, who've gone down that road, I haven't myself personally. Um, I, if I look at it as a combined thing, so if I say, okay, well, you've got to go get the certification, which certainly doesn't take two years, although some people take maybe six months of studying or, or more, you've got to write the exam. But it's also combined with that three to five years experience, right? So I don't look at it as just the certification. I look at it as what does it take to get the certification? Well, it takes three to five years of experience and you have to write the exam and you have to study for it. So um, 
is it, it is it you know is it i guess when i ball that up i go it's worth something right it's not it's not um I, I would agree. Five years of experience, um, even if you get a year or so waived, um, is, I mean, that says something. Uh, I think the requirements for the CISP have wavered over time as to exactly what qualifies and all that. But even if, I mean, that's just nuance. Um, the reality is, um, yeah, it's similar. I've met people with master's degrees in computing science mm -hmm. that literally could not be your sysadmin, could not be a developer. Um, they're, they're not going to be able to do our jobs. But my reading of this is this line I've highlighted on the screen. Um, they're not saying, <laughs> despite right. ISC squared trying to market the headline, yeah. Yeah, they're not giving you a degree. <laughs> they they are no the in in the European Union, they are not saying that a CISP is equivalent to a master's degree on a grand scale. What they're saying is within this framework right. that is used for regulated environments in Europe, that having a CISP is the same as being at level seven and an alternative to this day, up until now one of the accepted uh, qualifications was a master's degree. And now they're saying, well, to be at level seven, you could have a master's or you could have a CISSP. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to meet the other level seven requirements. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just, so I think it's a great controversy, but it reveals more about our anxiety around yeah. Our qualifications. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, the, the side of it too, I looked at it and I don't know if it's as relevant, but I, I look at it and you, you hear constantly the drum beat out. There's not enough security people out there for the jobs that exist. So if they can take this and say it gives you that level seven equivalent and therefore they can fill a bunch of positions that they weren't allowed to fill before because of the requirement or, or the standards that were set then good on the industry for getting those people who have hands-on knowledgeable mm -hmm. experience maybe aren't as good at going through a formal university style you know education and they're better at taking their practical knowledge and practical hands-on experience writing an exam demonstrating they have that knowledge through through that hands-on experience and through the hard knocks to come out and say i can do that job as good as this other guy with that educational background that maybe doesn't have the hands-on experience. And so in that case, I, I think that's a good thing for the industry. I think that's good that there's more opportunities for people regardless of how they get them or how the, the door opens for them. So if it opens the door for a person with a CISSP, good for them. If you want to go get your master's degree instead, good for you. If you want to get, you know, as Kyle said, if you want 10 years experience and apply for the same job, those should all have you know, some kind of equal bearing weight in consideration, in in my opinion. And that's what we're here for is to listen to my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we invited you on. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, so let me get to another question. And, and as usual, Kyle's one step ahead of us here. Um, there's, and I want to bring up, uh, James Best just commented and used a great word, which is qualification inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and Kyle's like, hey, we shouldn't be filling positions 
uh, just by getting a cert versus people who want to be there, etc. Um, so let me let me just throw this hot button issue out. Sure. Should working in cybersecurity at a professional level require a certification? And the corollary to that is, should we be licensed? And at this point, everyone who's watching us is, is, <laughs> is shaking their fists and going, you don't license me. It's an interesting question because I mean, obviously there's, there's organizations like engineers or architects or, or, you know, doctors who have licensing boards and, and have requirements um, to call yourself that. Like if you want to call yourself an engineer, you have to be an engineer. Um, and you have to you have to belong to the to the to the association. You can't you can't not. Part of that is to get money, I'm sure. Um, but part of it is standards, right? They want to hold certain standards. So it's tough. I think it's tough in IT uh, to. I think the problem with IT is there's a lot of people who are good at IT type work that don't necessarily follow a straight and narrow path right and, and part of that problem is we haven't had until recently even quote-unquote cybersecurity um, courses you could take at post-secondary education there was there was no such thing right you you can go take a computer science degree um, that does make you a cybersecurity person uh, and then in, in that degree you're picking a specialization anyway um, it, it's i don't know if i have the right answer for that um, so what do you think about licensing? I, I, Should you be licensed? I, I think it would depend on the criteria. If I'd have to know what, why, how do I meet that licensing requirement? And am I just paying a union due? Because I've done that in my life too. And I saw no value in that whatsoever. <laughs> I, I am um, absolutely shocked by the number of people in the audience who are saying yes to licensing. Because when I've had this conversation in the past, uh, usually around beer, uh, I, I've argued both sides of it. And yeah. um, invariably, if I argue for, somebody gets really mad at me. <laughs> I'm, not, um, I'm, not I'm not opposed to it, but I'd want to know what what qualifies you as being licensed, right? Like, what's the criteria? What is the purpose? What are the standards they're trying to meet? Um, is it realistic? Is it practical? Does it, does it, you know, is, is it serving a value to the industry, I guess, is, is what I look to. So I know that one of our um, frequent contributors to this show is, I don't think is watching um, tonight, um, has actually tried to set up, um, um, I don't know if you'd call it licensing exactly, but it's more at the practitioner level. So they're trying to create in Alberta sort of like um, the equivalent of engineering technologists Mm -hmm. So that you would actually have to go through this apprenticeship um, uh, process as well as a training process as the first step into being a cybersecurity practitioner. And what's funny is ISACA is trying to do that with their CSX program is saying there's a difference between a professional and a practitioner. You can be both, but you can also just be a practitioner. Right. Um, and in some ways, I think... Um, so we have some problems 
in cybersecurity that could be solved through licensing. Because if you think of the role that um, licensing boards play, they're also almost like a trade organization where they uh, advocate within various industries to go and say, well, um, we are the people who set professional practices. We enforce the professional practices and therefore we advocate within a multitude of industries to say, your industry needs to also enforce our professional practices and we can supply a baseline of assurance to you by ensuring that people are licensed. Um, I think this would probably solve some problems, but man, I don't know how we get from here to there. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting because, like you said, I mean, there's professional ones, but there's also trades, right? And trades are trades have licensing boards and things like that to make sure that standards are upheld and and you know the industry follows certain practices and things are done to some uniformity so that, like you know, and I know people hate the term sometimes, but what what would be best practices, right, or mm-hmm. accepted best practices? But so James brings up a great point that in Canada we have KIPS. Um, which is modeled after um, there's a British society that that we borrowed the the body of knowledge and then adapted it, and they've essentially tried to do that um, in in IT in general. Um, uh, early in my career, before I was into cybersecurity, I was really attracted to the KIPS model. Um, uh, but as James points out, um, you know, here in Alberta, I think they have there is a piece of legislation that recognizes um, KIPS for some purpose, but I don't think it does anything. It is recognized sort of like in Alberta, you can't call yourself a counselor without a PhD um, in psychology. You can't call yourself an engineer unless you're actually a PNG, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, sales engineer, just, just warning yes. all those people out there, not in Alberta. I'm not in Alberta. With- well, I don't know. You know, honestly, I think that's one of those. I mean, that's a controversial to- topic in itself. But I think they actually yeah. lost. Uh, they actually lost. Um, they lost that uh, challenge, right? So, like when Microsoft went head to head with them about their MCSC, uh, I I do believe um, the Engineering Society did lose. So, okay. which I think is is fair because I mean, you know, honestly, you can't. Yes, you're a governing body in Alberta but the rest of the world recognizes engineering in a totally different manner. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't think you can just really de- define it just because you're a governing body in one, one area of the world. Right. I, I mean, I get it. I, like, I, do, I do get it. You, you certainly want to, you know, de- delineate both, right? Like, you know, engineer versus a professional engineer, you know, but I also think at that point when engineers just come up with their own term or own title, then they can own it and then they can enforce it. Right. So, um, both uh, Kyle and Nahid um, point out that if we wanted to do licensing, we'd have to have a different type of board uh, with different yeah. legitimacy. It can't just be our professional groups. Uh, I yeah. think that would be one of the debates if we wanted to license um, either one of the professional standards boards, ISC squared, ISACA, one of them would have to win. Um, let me just, um, for those of you who are tuning in and Certifications new to you. We've sort of showed an overview and showed some resources, but I'm going to quickly show you some of the big ones. Uh, we talked about the CISSP, which is from ISC Squared, and they're, I'd say, the oldest body. And um, James had used the term uh, qualification inflation, and we're going to see an example of this. So they started out the CISSP, and they had a few others, 
And now there's all these different uh, so, specializations. So. And, yeah. you know, there's there's validity to all of them. They are specializations. Uh, but if we go over to ISACA, uh, they break things down very differently. Uh, these are by uh, functions within an organization. So you're an auditor, risk manager, security manager. And I, 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 I will honestly say my bias. I'm in love with how this is defined. Um uh, an IT governance specialist, a practitioner, and this new one, which is a privacy specialist. And I believe this is starting to get into inflation because there's already separate bodies that aren't related to cybersecurity that do this better. Yeah. Then you go into SANS GAIAC, and it is endless. <laughs> that one goes on forever. Oh, wow. $2,500 a day for training, $2,000 per exam. Um, I've taken four of these courses and have two certifications. This talk about qualification inflation, like this is endless and they invent new ones all the time. Uh, then there's EC council, which I think is, uh, the most commented upon <laughs> the most derided, uh, and, uh, Mark, do you have an opinion about the EC council? Um, I do. Um, I it's not a, not a positive one. I think mine's expiring, so I don't really care. And I, <laughs> I'm you. Um, which, which, just, which cert did you have from them? So just for, is this a child friendly podcast? So <laughs> just for shits and giggles, I went and did my CEH just because I thought, well, I'm not doing a lot of technical hands on, um, cause I'm doing a lot of architecting. So I, I don't have a lot of that technical, um, keyboard time. And I thought, I'm going to go see what the CEH is like, right? Because I'm not doing the OSCP. I don't have the patience and time and wherewithal to to go after that one. So I bought, like like every one of my certifications I've done, I, I bought study material. I self-studied. Um, I think I spent maybe half half a day, half a weekend, maybe a day on flipping through the material and then just went and wrote challenge the exam and it was pretty simplistic it was it was a lot of just memorization of some basic concepts and basic terminology so uh, it doesn't hold a lot of value to me at least the one i did i don't i i can't speak to any of the other ones uh, i i'll um i'll i'll give a similar um uh comment that's almost a it is a confession um so future employers uh, don't hold this against me because I'm going to say a different <laughs> thing in the interview. Um, that's right. So Even get the job. I have it. <laughs> that's right. This is when I'm looking for work. This is the most valuable certification I have. So when I was desperately looking for work uh, a few months back uh, and convinced I would never be able to find a job in cybersecurity again, I desperately in my insanity thought I need another certification. And so I looked around and said, what can I add to the end of my name really quickly and cheap because I had no money. And so I went to this EC council and I was like, oh, I could do the CEH. And then I was like, oh, I'm actually really, really interested in um, threat intelligence. And so I bought the study materials, spent a couple weeks going through it and wrote the exam. And I got to say, it's not bad. It's not definitely not the quality of other certifications I've got. And 
Um, I'm really glad to say I'm a certified threat intelligence analyst because not only is it cool, it's actually true. Every job function in here I've been doing for a long time, but damn it, I bought. I literally bought a certification there. I wrote an exam. Yeah. I, I do. I didn't find it challenging. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't challenging. These and you know what the funny thing is is if someone was starting out in their career, I'm not sure I would dissuade them from taking this approach. Nope, I, and, I wouldn't either. Either because if somebody was saying, "Well, I, I, I I've done X, Y, Z. I'd like, kind of like to get into pen testing. I'm pretty new to it. Do you have any recommendations?" I, I might say, "Yeah, go do your CEH certification just to get again get your foot in the door." Right. If if nobody knows you and I'd like to kind of fall back to one comment Kyle made where he said, you know, it bothers me that um, that cert's going to hold weight over somebody with the experience and drive and interest and stuff. And I think I just want to clarify that I don't I don't think it should. And I don't think I'd ever I'd ever put that above it. Um, what I would like to see, which doesn't always happen, right, is that we're a small industry especially in alberta i think a lot of people know everybody um, especially in the security um space so what i would hope is you know not not that i'm in the position to hire people but if if say kyle threw his resume in for a job one of my first things would be go talk to the guys i know and say hey do you know kyle hausen what's he like is he good is he is he is he, is he like smart is he love it you know is he driven um, what's he good at? Uh, does he get along good with people? You know, how do you think he would fit in this role? I mean, I think that's a big piece of jobs is who, and that's never going to go away. Who do you know? Right. And, and who does that person know that, you know, that can provide those personal type of references. Um, and then what is their background and experience and talk to the person because so much of somebody doing their job. Well, like I'm, I'm in a position now with a team of guys, who I haven't found anybody that I can't ring up and say, Hey, I got a question or I'm working on something. Can you help me out? And they're more than happy to say, yeah, I got some time. What's the, you know, what can I do for you? Um, those are people you want to work with and those are people you want on your team. And they're all willing to say, Hey, I, can you come in this call with me? Because I think you've got more experience on that, or I'd like your opinion on this. This is what I'm thinking, but I want to get your, your thoughts on it. Um, and, and I know that's not the case in every place you work, and that's why people mm -hmm. leave. But that's that to me. That's the place, and that's the hiring practice that's you know more idealistic of where it should be, um, as opposed to you're right. There are going to be occasions where, and I agree with you on the other side, right? There's going to be a guy who was say in a smaller company, stuck around unlike myself for 20 years and didn't move, um, got promoted up. They got to the size where they said, "We need a CISO." Because we're so big now, we need a security department. Promotes a guy who has no background in security, or maybe even very little background in IT, and says your job is now to hire people. And and I guess what choice do they have if they don't have those connections and stuff, other than saying, well, I need a pen tester. What what's a what's a recognized pen test certification, right? Yeah. And, and how many years experience yeah. do you have? And where did you do pen testing? And are those organizations you say you worked for do i know the names am i impressed by those names i mean that's realistically if if it's a blind type of hire that's the qualific or that's the criteria they're matching against i think for most of the time 
Okay, so okay, go, going with that. Sorry, uh, I'm going to interrupt here because uh, while we're on this topic, so let's say that you know you're a student at U, U of C or say uh, taking the cybersecurity course. What would be like a certification that maybe you know someone that's starting off uh, should should aspire to to get? Like maybe something that they want to use to get their foot in the door. Which one would be the best for them? And again, it's all personal opinion, but I mean, IC squared has the what is it? The S or it's essentially the introductory to CISSP, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. require the, the experience, the hands-on, mm -hmm. um, but it's under ISC squared, which again, you know, love them or hate them, they're still yeah. recognized industry body organization, right? And Kyle's right, go out and meet people in your field, right? Again, that to me speaks to, do you love what you do? Is this an industry you like? Is this a job you like? Is this, I mean, everybody has bad days, but do you really enjoy what you're doing then get involved in user groups get involved with um, spy and kawasak and all and meet those people right and get to know them personally because yeah at some point they may be looking to hire someone right or they may be recommending who somebody I, should hire i think jared is going to agree with me completely on this um uh up in edmonton he's involved in nate down here i've been involved in state i got my two best hires ever two people that I consider um, proud to be colleagues and friends with um, because I went out, as Kyle said, and I just started going to every event I could in Calgary, started meeting people and end up meeting some students who are about to graduate from SAIT who were more than prepared to accelerate their career. They weren't your typical students. Um, Chris McNeil and Nathan Dolan, um, both have never seen anyone accelerate their career so quickly. And I would never have found them if I just sat there passively receiving resumes and putting out job ads, it was going out there and uh, talking to instructors, talking to professionals, who do you know, um, meeting people, listening to their stories. Um, it's, it's powerful. I want to, I want to plug this. Um, you were just talking about the intro one from ISC squared. So mm -hmm. ISACA introduced this um, right. cybersecurity fundamentals and um I know at least one person on this live stream or two have either gotten the cert or bought in the book. When this book came out, I went and bought it uh, as an ISACA member. It's cheap. Wow. One of the best, most concise definitions of cybersecurity. And the I use this over and over in courses I build to extract their um, definitions. Um, and it's, it comes with a little exam. So if you're just starting out, you want like spend a hundred bucks or something to get this cert, but also get a, um, foundational level of knowledge. Like what's the perspective of what the heck is this thing I'm getting into? I, I love this thing. Um, I'll have to pick up the book and check it out for sure. Uh, there we go. Back to that. Um, <laughs> I actually, you know, when I read this it was about the time that everyone was converting to cyber and, you know, everyone's uh, making yeah. fun of cyber. I stopped immediately when I read this. It's like page three or something to give a definition of what cybersecurity is relative to others. I'm like, no, I don't tolerate this making fun of cyber as a real definition and it works for me. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in some ways it's, it's, yeah, I know everybody, I know a lot of people who just hate the term, but. I guess in some ways it also differentiates between physical security, you know, like a security guard or, or, mm -hmm. you know, police, you know, enforcement type work. So I, I, I get where 
it, it just qualifies it for so you go oh it i get you yeah it's um anyways that that little book even without the exam is just it's a great read i wish they'd make it free um i actually when when sate was trying to make their uh security curriculum i actually said you should just make sure that everyone who graduates graduates with that um, from the IT program, whether it's security or not, um, would make a difference to me as an employer. Um, okay, I'm going to shut up on that now. <laughs> I'm going to feel like an ISACA salesman, and I am no way affiliated with ISACA. And, and, and just to be uh, upfront, I mean, the certs I have, I mean, I, I think they were all of value. Um, for the ones I've kept, the ones I don't have and some stuff that's very, you know, vendor specific or whatever I let expire just because it's not, not a necessity for my role. Um, but I do, I do also kind of focus on the fact that both ISACA and IC, IC squared lets you maintain your certification through CPEs, which don't have to be through them. And their yearly dues, I think are reasonable. And I've been fortunate enough that almost every one of my employers has been willing to pay my yearly fees. So it's just one of those ones where I can keep up to date on stuff. I can take interesting webinars or courses or whatever, put it towards my certification, maintain my certification, remain part of the organization, and then do things like, you know, get invites and say, hey, do you want to, I'm not going to do it this time because it's virtual and, and that's a good thing. But, you know, hey, do you want a trip down to Florida to meet with a bunch of your peers to, to come up and, and make this exam better? So I just, you know, that's that's why I've kind of stuck with what I have, um, but I just found that both organizations have been pretty valuable that way. Cool. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to throw a grenade. So this is a comment Chris made earlier. <laughs> There's a hiring oh, yeah. problem. There's a pipeline problem. Companies want the unicorn, but most are not willing to train up the junior sysadmin. And I know uh, Michael has opinions on this, and I tend to agree with his opinions as well on this. Um, Mark, what do you think? <laughs> we should have recorded our, our pre-show because yeah, this is funny because I, I said, well, it's not really a certification thing, but um, I said another hot topic was that I always see in cyber, you know, in, in the security field is there's this big shortage of jobs and you say you don't have any people. Why don't you hire the junior people to train them? Exactly. And I think we both, I'll try and summarize without rambling for 45 minutes, but <laughs> I think we both came to the, to the same agreement that that's great. I, I would totally support that. I think again, somebody with aptitude and willing to learn and, you know, as Chris said, a junior sysadmin, if they're a keen, you know, driven person who just wants to figure out new things, you can totally train them into a cybersecurity person and, and fill those roles. The challenge comes, and I'm speaking from personal experiences, most organizations do not have the resourcing to be able to dedicate that mentor and that senior person to help those people get where they need to go. Because I think to be a good cybersecurity person, you need a fairly good breadth of multiple ID, IT disciplines. So you got to understand databases and you got to understand mm -hmm. how that's managed. You don't have to be a DBA, but you got to understand it. You understand systems and servers and networks and some coding because malware is code. And so you use all that base knowledge to figure out, well, how did the attacker get in? What did they do? How do I prevent it? What are they exploiting? So a senior person draws all that 
base IT knowledge and, and bundles it up and says, now, how do I think like an attacker to leverage problems in IT? And yes, we can take an art student who has a, a smart mind and make them a cybersecurity person. We can take that junior admin and train them up. With that shortage of people comes a shortage of mentors. And it also comes as a shortage of companies saying, I don't want to pay my senior resource six figures to train a junior person for the next two years. That's not what I'm paying them for. I'm paying for them to come in, drop them in and do the job because they know their stuff. I need more people like that to come in and, and they got to hit the ground running. So totally agree with the idea of how to, it, it's a very catch 22, right? We yeah, have this shortage. We have all these people who would love to get into the field probably and would be very good at the field. And we have very little resources to get them there. Um, uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, I think in other professions, um, other departments within companies outside cybersecurity or IT, there's an assumption that managers will mentor and coach their staff. And if you're in another profession, there's well-established practices. It's not as make it up as you go along as ours. It's not changing every week. And you're not under the same existential threat that we always feel we're under in cybersecurity. Um, it's unreasonable in cybersecurity to think your manager, your director is going to find the time to coach and mentor people, especially when the skills are so broad and changing all the time. Um, the recommendation I, I made before the show was, you know, literally what every department, if you've got 10 people in a cybersecurity department, which would be like mid-size, your, your next hire needs to be a trainer, someone whose dedicated job is coaching, mentoring, and building capability within your team. But is anyone going to do that? Because then who would you hire? As a cybersecurity manager, you know how to hire someone who's got those, those, you hire someone who's got good personal skills or good technical skills. Um, here in Calgary, I only know of one department and that's over at Mount Royal. They have a dedicated trainer. Um, it, but literally I, I'd see that as solving problems um, for, but I don't know where we'd hire those people. Um, <laughs> and vendor training, I think is now trying to market itself by saying, look, we're going to address the skills shortage by providing tons of training, but it isn't, it's not the same. It it's really not, it's, it's building capability within a team mm -hmm. is, is a uh, intimate thing mm -hmm. based on the requirements of the organization, the specific people in the team. It's not the same as just going for more training. Um, and I know that training and certification fit in the solution there somewhere, but I just, I don't know. Uh, but Michael, I agree with you. I mean, and, and and for those of you watching, this will be a future live stream on mentorship. So just <laughs> just so you know, it's coming up in August. Uh, but yeah, I know, and I know I've expressed my um, opinions on mentorship. Uh, I think it's a it's a great tool. Do I personally like to be a mentor myself? Mm, that's yeah, yet to be seen. But I do know that even in my current role, uh, there's a lot of newer people uh, starting in, in in my company. And yeah, I try and help kind of guide them, right? And I guess, you know, some of them have expressed the fact that, you know, hey, appreciate your mentorship. And I'm like, am I really a mentor though? Uh, 
but you know, I, and I agree with you, Michael. You have a um, live stream and a podcast. You, you're you're a mentor to at least a few <laughs> dozen people. <laughs> I will admit I, that is my personality type, right? I do like to help people. I do like to you know guide people, especially if they're struggling or if they don't know where they're going. Because let's face it, you start in a new company, you know that's 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 the big thing, right? It's you you dive in. It doesn't matter how skilled you are or how knowledgeable you are. You just don't know the culture, right? And that's that's half the battle too, right? So, you know, it, it helps, I think, from a mentality when you're hiring someone and you're looking for someone to make sure that, you know, they have a certain, especially at a senior level, that they have a certain skill set that, you know, includes mentorship. I mean, you know, it's one to be coachable. You should be coachable. Like you should be able to take advice. You should be able to take criticism from your, you know, from your boss or from your other peers too. Because that's the only way you improve as a person, at professionally and personally. But at the same time, you have to be able to give, you know, constructive criticism as well as help those that need help and guide them. So that, you know, when you identify, you know, something that they need improvement on, you can just kind of pull them aside and say, hey, you know, dude, that's, I think you should kind of think about this a little bit next time you do this. And, you know, dress this way or, you know, talk this way. Or when you're in front of a customer, you know, maybe you want to kind of consider this. And, you know, for the most part, you know, people that are coachable will will gravitate and understand that. Then now you're also breeding that next generation of mentors. So I feel like, you know, it's kind of a cycle of giving, right? You kind of have to give a little bit. Mm-hmm. You might not get a lot, but you give a little bit. And then that keeps on giving more into the industry. And that's what we need. Um, and I think yeah, yeah. We, we need that within companies. We need we need people willing to say, yeah, I'll go, I'll go talk at the B-Sides conference and provide some, you know, information for people and, and do that mentorship. And, 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 you know, the point was brought up there. Um, it's tough. It's just tough in our, I could be biased cause I work in the industry, but I've also been around the business. Like I, I've worked in audit roles. So I've worked in basically a finance function with accountants, which by the way, are, are, I know it's hard to believe, but they're bigger nerds than any IT person I've ever met. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. My point being is the the amount of workload that I see in companies in the IT department and, and particularly in the cybersecurity departments, I think it's just a fundamental problem that causes issues in that if you're in two, if you're you have two jobs and they pay the same and company A is saying, yeah, we pay the same as company B, but you, you know, to the point that was on the screen there, but you get guaranteed two weeks a year of training, right? And you got to go to a conference or you got to do this or you got to take your course or whatever. And we have that mentorship within the group and we have the camaraderie and I can't speak that that teamwork within the group right because i can't think of anything better and i've said this before like you you obviously have to make enough money to live and to do the things you want but if i'm at if i'm in a company that says hey you know we have the budget and we're willing to send you and maybe some of your teammates down to defcon once a year and you guys go down to vegas and you go to see the coolest hacking techniques and you hang out with all your peers and you you know have fun and you have a few drinks and you and you come back and you you get re-engaged and recharged for your job, that's the place you want to work, even if they paid a little less than the other place. Because that's that's value, that's value add. That if you're in a place that you know, no training, humdrum, you don't nobody, you know, everybody hates what they're doing, they can pay the person more, but do they want to stay there for 10 years? Probably not. 
So it's, it's just I, I don't know how how to fix it, right? Because yeah, I know. it seems systemic across IT and security that there's just not there's not the resourcing and functionality and time. Like every time I talk to a peer, it's like I don't have enough time in the day to do my job, right? I just do I just am overwhelmed every day. Um I'm not going to let this episode end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my downer. <laughs> so let me tell you something that I think that works. Um, I've been in in those jobs where there is no training, and James was talking about you know you can get budget for everything but training. I've worked in places where there was no training budget for ten years when I joined and saw the devastating effect. Um, it was in that job that I learned the value of peer mentorship and decided I would figure out what it meant to be a peer mentor. Um, there's lots you can do within a team, even without training to build capability. This live stream is supposed to be about certification, but it talks about training and about job hunting. But really what we're talking about is building capability, both as individuals and as teams for the purpose of our companies having the capability of um, responding to the threats they face. Um, when I was at, oh, I'm not going to say who it is, but um, I've told this story to everyone who's had beer with me. Um, we had a team of 35 people, uh, no, no training. Everyone is miserable. Um, things aren't getting done. So I, in the security role I was in, I couldn't get things done on my own. So what I did was uh, every, I started one day and I, you know, I said, well, I'm going to need everyone else's cooperation and their input and their help. And I need them to give a damn about cybersecurity. So every day I went and got our projector and I made a big show of walking it down the aisle between the cubicles to the training room at lunchtime. And people would poke out and go, oh, where are you going with that? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go watch some uh, security training videos while I eat my lunch. You want to join me? And on day one, no one joined me. And on day two, one person joined me. And on day three, that person was talking to someone. And by the second week, I had 12 people in the room asking me what video we were going to watch next. Um, <laughs> this led to a whole bunch of people using Tor when they probably shouldn't on our network. Uh, we watched uh, a ton of DEF CON and Black Hat videos, as well as a whole bunch of training videos. Ever since then, wherever I work, and I see that there is a need to build more capability in my team, I focus on cross-training and I focus on getting people just interested in learning more. And then once you get there, and forgive me for using this word because it's going to sound a little manipulative, but then you can co-opt all the other people who are interested in their world and co-opt them to be part of the security program. They learn more skills. They become helpful. Um, that, like, peer mentorship and cross training. Yeah, and, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to be doom and gloom because you're right. There's there's lots of resources out there again for people like ourselves who are, you know, I'm going to learn it. If you're not going to pay for it, I'm still going to learn it. Um, there's YouTube, there's things like that. And and I've had numerous trips where I said, "Hey, honey, uh, me and a couple of the guys from work are thinking of going down to Vegas in the middle of August when it's nice and cool. Do you want to go sit by the pool?" And so some guys from work, we'd all head down to DEF CON because it's a reasonably priced conference. 
Um, it's easy to talk your spouses into going to Vegas because there's <laughs> pools. They go off and shop and, and drink, and we would go to the conference, right? Or I said, hey, we've never been to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, there's a there's a conference there. Do you want to go check it out? And and fortunately, she was willing, you know, to use our vacation time um, to let me go and and take part in the conference and get education and and meet with my peers. And and I I didn't look at it. I mean, it'd be nice if my employer paid for it, but I also looked at it as, hey, this is what I'm interested in. These are people I like hanging out with. This is stuff I want to learn. It's not wasting my vacation. It's utilizing my vacation, you know, for what I want to do in my career. So okay. it wasn't wasn't all bad. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Um, is this a good place to wrap it up more or do you guys? I was, so I'm, I'm going to add one comment before we wrap it up. So, um, I did read an article, um, I think it was a few days ago cause I was just kind of researching this topic just a little bit more in depth versus, you know, what my opinions are. And, you know, it was quite interesting. Uh, there was, there was a person that posted, uh, I think it was an opinion piece, uh, but they had done some research and discovered that, you know, certifications for all their worth, right. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot more pros than there are cons. Let's put it that way. And they said, you know, especially for those people that are looking to, uh, you know, ask for a raise, uh, having a certification makes a huge difference uh, to the factor of almost 100%. So, and again, this is an American study. So, you know, I guess kind of take that into consideration as well. But the idea was that, you know, uh, there was, you know, a system admin, uh, their annual raise was, let's say, $5,000. So roughly $500 extra a month kind of thing, where the equivalent person who got certified on, you know, let's say AWS or something like that, uh, they almost got $13,000 uh, of a raise. So, I mean, that's significant. Uh, so that, that's something to consider as well. So, uh, you know, not just for the, you know, personal growth professional growth aspect but you know if you're driven by money as i think most people are <laughs> to a certain point consider that too right i mean you know uh you get rewarded because you know it shows to your manager or your employer that you know yeah hey i'm i'm here to kind of grow but at the same time kind of add to the status of the company overall and again if you're working for like a third party uh var for example Having certifications is big because, you know, that either a, you know, whether it's a vendor cert or, you know, a non-vendor cert, it all helps because, you know, it makes them more promotable, more marketable. So just just a positive note that I wanted to end on. And then at the same time, uh, for those of you who haven't, if you like this video, please like it so you, you can help others uh, find this video. Uh, if you haven't done so, please subscribe. We are literally like five subscriptions away for Michael being able to uh, get a customized Euro for this channel. So, and that would help tremendously in uh, helping us promote uh, this live stream. So I want to say uh, thank you to Mark, especially uh, for taking time out of his busy schedule to uh, do this with us and impart his wisdom. It's definitely appreciated. And yeah, uh, dude, like ex excellent, excellent opinion. You are welcome back anytime, Mark. Oh, <laughs> not just welcome. We're going to pull you we're back sure, in. Yeah, gonna... <laughs> well, if you want someone with an opinion, <laughs> sounds good sounds good all right well thanks very much for having me i really appreciate it It was a lot of fun it's always it's always great to get together and chat about something you're interested in so absolutely all right um so for those of you who weren't here at uh the beginning of the live stream i'm just going to put this link to our discord server if you want to continue 
this conversation over the coming week. You've got more to say, more to ask. Please join us in Discord in the Moro and Mike channel. Um, we're happy to continue this conversation. Um, for our upcoming live streams, you can start the conversation before we actually have it. Helps feed into the questions and the guests we're going to invite. Uh, next week's live stream is about students and young professionals. Uh, we have not recruited the professionals yet, but we have recruited the student leaders. Uh, and we are really super excited about that. Uh, and one more link, if you weren't here at the beginning, um, you can go, oh, I put it in the chat already. The web, we have a new website, cyberlibrarian.ca. And uh, we are now a podcast. So you can find us on Spotify and iTunes and other fine places. Moro and Mike, if you want to listen to this um, instead of watching it on YouTube, the audio will be posted in 24 hours. Um, and with that, I'm going to play the outro music. And here we go. Thank you so much. <laughs>